Welcome to the PTA Elevation Podcast, where we help physical therapist assistant students pass the NPTE on the first try without wasting time or money. To learn more about the services we offer, find us on Facebook by searching PTA Board Study Group or fill out the form linked in the description. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's podcast. So guys, today we're going over ACL tears and ACL, the anterior cruciate ligament is probably one of the most common ligaments to be torn. So the boards really likes to talk about this, especially when they'll talk about that the patient has a grade three sprain. So that means that all the ligaments are torn. It's like, think of it just cut in half. Like it's just whoosh, it's gone. Um, so let's get into it. So anatomy associated with it, obviously we're looking at the knee joint here. So ACL is called the anterior cruciate ligament. Understand that the PCL is the posterior cruciate ligament as well. And understanding that MCL stands for medial collateral ligament and lateral collateral ligament would be LCL. So understanding what do the acronyms mean? So another thing to look at when you have an ACL tear, it's usually not by itself, at least in real people on the boards, they might ask you about this, but there's something called the unhappy triad. And that is where you tear your ACL, MCL and medial meniscus. And that's because you can see the ACL kind of blends into the medial meniscus. So does the medial collateral ligament kind of blends into the medial meniscus. So if you end up with an injury where it's like trauma to it, usually the they're, they're coming in threes, you know what they say about things coming threes or something like that. Um, yeah, MCL, ACL, and medial meniscus tend to be the culprits involved when you have an injury to your knee. So understanding that the difference in grades, grade one sprain would be a few fibers are torn in the ligament. Grade two sprain would be, there's a lot of fibers torn in the ligament. We're seeing a lot of ligaments as laxity, but it's still attached. And then grade three would be a complete tear. So grade three sprain would be everything's gone. It's cut in half. Um, remember that this is a sprain because it's a ligament. Strain with a T would be the muscles or musculotendinous unit. So tendon strains as well. I always think that the strain has a T in it. So I think Mr. T has muscles. I don't know why that just really stuck with me. I know that's an older reference, but you know what? It works. Um, understanding that also the Q angle has an element of involvement when it comes to uh, if you're at risk for developing an ACL tear. So here's a picture of the Q angle here. So the Q angle is going to run from the ASIS all the way to the medial patella and then to like the tibial tubercle kind of thing. So the um, ASIS is just whatever the line would be from the, the Q angle is whatever the line would be from the ASIS all the way down to the middle of the patella. And then it's the angle. So that angle will be off to the side. And then there will be a straight line from the, um, like where the femoral head inserts into the acetabulum in the hip joint, all the way down to the tibial tubercle. So whatever that angle is between how far the ASIS kicks out laterally. So I think a wider hip would be a wider, a higher Q angle because that angle is going to increase as the hip widens, which is why female individuals are more at risk for this because it's going to make a bigger angle and that's going to put the knee more at risk of a valgus, uh, genovalgum at the knee. And then having genovalgum at the knee is going to cause a higher risk of having an ACL tear. So that is why female athletes are the most susceptible population to be getting an ACL tear. Now, understanding that the ACL itself runs from the anterior intercondylar region of the tibia, so right here above the tibial uh, tuberosity, and it's going to go and insert on the medial side of the lateral condyle of the femur in the intercondylar notch. So 
understanding that this is kind of where it's running and it's going to prevent anterior translation of the tibia. So if it's not working, we're going to see anterior translation of the tibia. That just means the tibia is sliding forward out of place and it's looking wonky and we're going to see some knee instability. Um, with a grade three tear or grade three sprain, we're probably going to see this individual needing reconstructive surgery. So that means that they're probably going to be using either an autograft so that is a graft of a tendon or some other structure in the body that is from the individual self. So a lot of times with an ACL tear, they're going to be using either the hamstring uh, tendon, the quad tendon, the patellar tendon. I didn't put that on there, but that's another one that's super common. A lot of people have been going towards the quad tendon use because it's a much stronger graft, but the individual has to be much stronger to be able to use that. So that's usually only used with athletes, but understanding that a graft that is coming from somewhere else in the same person's body would be considered an auto graft. So graft auto means self. So self graft, and then an aloe graft. So aloe means some, something else, but similar. I like to think that it's on the other side of the mountain. That's how I think of it, but an aloe graft, so A-L-L-O graft would be from a cadaver or somebody else. So nine times, like 99% of the time is a cadaver, but those are the kind of grafts that would be used. You'd either have an autograft from somewhere else in your own body, or you would get a cadaver graft. And that can be the same things. Uh, it could be any tendon at that point, the person's not using it anymore. Sorry. Um, so let's get into the etiology of this. So as I said before, females are more commonly going to get an ACL tear than males and individuals between the ages of 14 and 29 are most susceptible to it because of the increase in activities, sports, playing, all of that fun stuff. However, a lot of my patients I've been getting like 30 some year olds that have like tried skateboarding for the first time in a long time and they'll tell their ACL stuff like that. Um, but yeah, this 14 and 19 year old individuals are most common females more common than males due to the increased Q angle on them. And then agility sports will be most commonly where we'll see it. We're not really going to see it's ACL tear with a golfer, but we have a higher individual chance seeing it with a basketball player. I'd say basketball is probably one of the highest. So we're seeing basketball, football, soccer, volleyball, forgot an extra L of volleyball, but those are the sports that we will most likely be seeing an individual tearing the ACL due to the high impact, the jumping, the cutting, the running back and forth, lateral jumping, all of that stuff, stand and pivot, twist, plant and twist injuries. Those are the most common that we would see. And it doesn't have to be a contact injury. So a contact injury would be like a trauma injury. So we'd also see this with people who have like been skiing or had a fall or something like that, snowboarding, whatnot, wiping out. That would be a like trauma contact, getting hit by somebody else in football, getting run into, getting checked in basketball, soccer, football, hockey, whatever, someone knocking you over. Um, you might get an ACL tear from that. They might get a foul from that. You never know. Maybe they'll red card them. Who knows? Just the nature of the sports having a contact injury like that. But a lot of times you'll see just a plant and twist. So it's just somebody, I know my friend tore his ACL because he was playing um, ultimate Frisbee. They just plant and twist and no one was around him and he tore his ACL. So that kind of injury as well, that would be a non-contact injury. So literally anything where you're twisting, planting, cutting, all of that stuff, that's going to put you at risk. Um, other risk factors, as I said before, increased Q angle, which would cause increased uh, genu valgum at the knee. Remember, valgum is the knocked knees. Increased joint laxity in general. If the joint stretches more, um, if the ligaments stretch more, we're seeing that that might get anteriorly translated out of place. So that's why we would see an ACL injury with that. 
if your knee stabilizers are weak, you're putting your knee more at risk to start sliding out of place, which could be in sliding forward, which would mean an ACL tear. So be careful with that. Any sort of weak hip abductors, because that would cause an increased um, genovalgum at the knee. So we want to strengthen those muscles. Narrow intercondylar notch, that just means ACL has less room to move around. So it's higher risk of getting torn just because there's more stuff squishing in on it. And then just landing weird. Um, if you're not controlled with the way you're landing, let's say you go out for a shot in basketball, you come down and you're getting all wonky on your knee, that'll cause it. Any sort of planting weird after catching a game-winning throw in football in the end zone, you land weird, that would put you at risk. You might get the point, you might win the game, but you might be out for a while. So those are some risk factors of an ACL tear. So what does it look like? As I said before, it's probably going to be more common in our female athlete individuals and those between ages 14 and 29. So let's say it's like an 18 year old female. That's another, that's a thing that you would see. Um, I know a lot of girls on the basketball team would tear their ACLs all the time in high school. That's super common. Q angle puts them at risk. Um, when we're seeing an actual ACL tear, so let's say they've just come in fresh for a little bit of PT before they get surgery or something like that, the acute injury would present with joint pain and effusion with also swelling and edema at the joint line and decreased range of motion. So their knee starts to blow up essentially and they can't move it. Um, confirm this diagnosis using an MRI. So that would be the best way to confirm this diagnosis. We know insurance companies are stupid and won't pay for an, an MRI. So um we will probably be doing the PT, at least we'll be doing some special tests to confirm what's going on. These special tests include the Lockman test, the anterior drawer test, and then the pivot shift test. So that should say anterior drawer, and I will it's correct it in the next slide. But um, making sure that we're also not seeing that they had the unhappy triad. So when the PT is doing this special test, they're probably also testing for uh, medial meniscus and also MCL. So be careful because it could be, a, it might be just more than just an ACL tear. So just being careful that it doesn't accidentally be an unhappy triad as well. So remember that's ACL, MCL, and medial meniscus. So let's go over those special tests because um, we as PTAs, when it comes to special tests, we have to know what they are and what they're testing. Do we need to technically be able to perform the special test? Probably not because the PT is doing that, although on reassessments and reevaluations and discharge, we are testing that, performing the test to make sure it's not going anywhere. But let's go over those special tests real quickly. And we need to be familiar that these specific special tests are what the boards wants to know that we know. So any of these three, if it's positive, we're seeing ACL. So Lachman test, this is probably the most common one. The knee is gonna be at 20 to 30 degrees of flexion. And that's why I tell everybody, make sure you know the open pack position of the knee, because that is what Lachman's test is doing. We are testing the laxity of the ACL at the open pack position of the knee joint. And that is the tibiofemoral joint. That would be 25 degrees of knee flexion. So we put the patient in that position and we see if the knee slides around. So what the PT is going to do, they're going to stabilize the end of the distal femur and they're going to take the um, tibia and they're going to pull it forward. So essentially what a positive sign would be is that we see excessive anterior translation of, a of the tibia on the femur. And generally there is a little bit of give. So it's like it moves a little bit. You're like, okay, but I'm talking like you see the tibial plateau start poking out and stuff like that. You're like, oh, this is not good. Um, the thing is like, you'll know 
you'll know when it's positive. Like you'll be like, oh, that's not good. Um, so if you see the tibia start popping out forward, you're like, mm, that's not good. So that is why the Lachman's test is probably the most common one because we put in the open pack position of the knee. Remember 25 degrees of flexion. And then we um, test to see if there's any sort of laxity. The next thing is the anterior drawer test. And so this is another super common one to test the ACL because it's very simple to perform. And um, uh, this one is a little bit different. The hips flexed at 45 degrees, the patient's in supine and the knee is flexed to 90 degrees. So remember open pack position for Lachman's we're just at regular old 90 degrees for anterior drawer test. Essentially the PT is going to sit on the patient's foot so it doesn't slide around and they're going to sit behind them. They're going to take their hands on the, the tibia. They're going to wrap them around and they're going to pull forward. Um, if we see that the tibia is poking out again, we start seeing the tibia plateau. We start seeing it slide around. It's looking really loose and stuff. We're like, uh-oh, that's a positive sign. So a positive anterior drawer test would indicate a positive, like a positive sign for an ACL tear. Remember, we don't take one test in isolation, but a lot of these are very much like, ooh, not good. Um, lateral pivot shift test. This is a lot less common, but the board might ask you like which one of these tests is not testing the ACL. And then just remember lateral pivot shift test also tests for ACL tears as well. So what we'll see, the patient is supine with the hip flexed just a little bit and abducted to 30 degrees. So it's kind of up and out a little bit. And then we're going to turn the tibia into slight internal rotation. The therapist is going to grab one of the part of the leg with the hand and the other is going to be over the uh, lateral area of the proximal tibia. So they're probably gonna grab around the foot and then put their other hand on the proximal tibia. They're going to internally rotate the tibia. So they're gonna put push forward. And then they're gonna also kind of, they're gonna use that proximal hand at the proximal end of the tibia to, to add a valgus stress to it. So they're twisting in and they're pushing in as well, which I just feel like this would be just generally very uncomfortable. I know when it was done on me in class, I was like, ew. Um, so, positive test would be any sort of palpable shift. So you'll literally feel it start to slide around and it might even clunk as you start like bending the knee a little bit. So you're like, uh oh, this isn't good. And I definitely recommend checking out all of like videos of someone performing this on somebody just so that you have a good idea. But lateral pivot shift test will test for an ACL tear as well. So how are we treating this? Um, generally, if it's a grade three, like how this example says, it's probably gonna need some surgical intervention. So some uh, ACL reconstructive surgery, understanding that when we have ACL reconstructive surgery, once our weight bearing restrictions are lifted, we generally wanna focus more on closed chain exercises. So that would be like mini squats, some mini lunges, maybe even leg press a little bit, just general good old closed chain exercises to help build strength up and to not put too much uh, excessive force on the ACL. So this is especially why, and the board's really, 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 really wants to make sure you know this. Generally, the timeline for this would be about six weeks. So I would say just kind of keep that in mind unless the literature changes at some point, then I will update this video slash podcast or whatever you're listening to this on. And I just want to let you guys know there will be no open chain knee extension for at least six weeks. That means no long arc quads, no short arc quads, no leg extension machine, nothing along those lines because we don't want an extra, what it causes is an extra shearing force on the ACL. And we literally just had that repaired. So we don't want to put extra shearing force on it. Share would mean like straight across, like we're literally like cutting into the uh, ACL. So we don't want that at all. So we're going to avoid that because we don't want surgeons mad at us. 
Um, and we also don't want our patient to start back at square one. So we're going to avoid open chain knee extension exercises for at least six weeks. Now we can do open chain flexion, abduction, all of that other stuff. Um, but generally with it comes to the knee, we just want to avoid that. We'll work up at the hip. We'll do like three or four way SLRs to kind of work with strengthening that. The main thing that we're doing at the knee itself is we're doing quad setting exercises, quad strengthening exercises, because the quad is probably what's most affected. So we want to strengthen that. So when we avoid this happening in the future, it'll also help with transfers, gait, ambulation, all that stuff, and then getting the patient back to what they wanted to do in the first place. So increasing quad strength, quad setting exercises, we want to decrease the edema, swelling, and pain with various modalities. So if they want some ice at the end of it and everything, if they want some e-stim because they want it like IFC to just decrease the pain, we go for it. We can also use Russian stimulation or also NMES, so neuromuscular electrical stimulation on the quad itself to help facilitate quad activation. So maybe we're just having our patient do their warm up, being them just doing some quad sets with the Russian stem to help facilitate quad activation because quads are very, very weak following ACL surgery. Now we also want to make sure we're going in the usual order that we go when we're rehabbing people, decrease pain first, increase range of motion, increase strength. And then when they're in the chronic stages, everything stabilized, the surgeon is given all clear. The protocol says, a okay, go for it. We're going to start with gradual return to sport slash activity things. So if we have somebody who has been a basketball player or something, we're gradually returning them to like jumping, cutting, all of that stuff, soccer player, cutting, backpedaling, all of that stuff. We're working on getting them back to where they need to go. So that's more like high level stuff, um, but that's way farther down the line. I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to be good. And then I'm going to do my return to sport within like three months now return to sports stuff is usually starting about six months after maybe even eight months. It's a while ACL from start to finish from when you tour to where you can be back to sports full-time, probably at least a year. So another thing, and this is a side note, just make sure we're educating our patients that this is a long haul. This is not a quick fix. It's going to take a while, um, but we'll get there. It's just going to take a while um, because a lot of these patients, like, especially the athletes, like this is their whole life. They're like, so sad that they can't do their sports. So just understanding, try to keep PT fun, keep the exercises, even if they're like doing hip exercises or even like core stuff, make it hard for them. So then they feel like they're doing something without breaking any sort of their protocol or precautions. So a lot of psychological component with this. Definitely. If we start seeing any issues with our patients, send them to a sports psychologist to help them out because that would be very nice for them. They need help with that. But getting back to our ACL that we're going to see on the test, some keywords I want us to understand is if you see a positive special test, it's an ACL tear. And then we have our special tests as being a positive Lockman's test, positive anterior drawer test, or a positive lateral pivot shift test. Those are the three for ACL. So put those in your put those in your like little like toolbox of understanding that these are all ACL tests and understanding what the special test is and what a test for and a positive sign is blah, 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 blah. Excessive anterior translation of the tibia. That's an ACL tear. We're like, oh, because the ACL remember prevents anterior translation of the tibia. So if we're seeing that we're seeing a lot of it, the ACL is not doing its job because it's broken. Uh, females with a high Q angle, that's going to be another thing that we're like, oh, this could be ACL. Uh-oh. And then any sort of athlete playing any sort of agility sports, like volleyball, soccer, you, you know that agility sports, any of them where there's like a plant and twist kind of injury. Uh-oh, not good. Unhappy triad. So we're seeing ACL, MCL, and medial meniscus problems. 
they can all come in a pack together, like a group project kind of thing. Um, so that would be the unhappy triad. Grade blank sprain. So usually it's grade three, but any sort of grade sprain, that's where you're going to see, okay, this is a ligament torn. What ligament is it? What's going on? Again, plant and twist injury could be contact injury, could be non-contact remember our trauma, stuff like that. But a lot of times it ends up being just a non-contact. They just land weird, plant and twist, cut weird. Then you know, they're done. ACL is gone. Anyways, uh, here is our sample question. A physical therapist assistant is treating a young male athlete following ACL reconstructive surgery. The patient is four weeks post-surgery. Which exercise would be contraindicated for this patient? One, gait training with crutches. Two, quad setting with NMES, three long arc quads, or four sideline hip abduction. So I'll give you guys a second to think about that. All right, guys. So the answer is long arc quads. Remember before six weeks, and they're going to say something like three or four weeks out just to make it really much like, okay, that we're not, we're, we're, we're pretty sure that this is going to be bad for the ACL. We don't want open chain knee extension bad. Don't do it unless the surgeon says it's okay. So that would mean no longer quads, no short arc quads. We don't want to see any sort of leg extension machines, nothing along those lines. We don't want it. We, we don't want it. We don't need it bad. Don't do it. So long arc quads would be included in that because remember it increases the shearing force placed on the ACL. So push it out straight and really, really, really push down on that. We don't want that at all. So no open chain knee extension exercises with an ACL tear. Um, gait training with crutches, the patient probably would be on crutches at this point. They might need um, one crutch, two crutch, even if it's just for balance or something like that. We're making sure that they're gait training with their crutches and stuff like that. And they're being safe and whatnot because they could be on weight bearing restrictions for a couple of weeks. So um, this could be, maybe they don't need it, but it's definitely not like contraindicated. Contraindicated means like, this is a big no, no, don't do that. Bad, 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 bad. Precaution would mean keep an eye on it guys. That could be bad. And then any sort of thing that's appropriate for like, okay, that's okay. But contraindicated is like big red flag. No. Um, so while the patient might not necessarily need gait training with crutches, not going to hurt them. And depending on the patient, it might be okay. Uh, we haven't heard any sort of weight bearing restrictions or what's going on with this patient. So we're looking at that being like, okay, let's see if there's a, an answer on here that's like weight worse. Quad setting with NMES, uh, that's exactly what we want to do. So we're going to get rid of that because we love that. Uh, long arc quads, that's where we see, uh-oh, bad. Definitely don't want to do that. Super inappropriate, regardless of their weight bearing restrictions, anything along those lines. This is bad. We don't want to do that, but let's just make sure let's knock out number four to make sure it's okay. Sideline hip abduction. Yeah, that's okay. Open chain exercises at the hip are okay for strengthening general conditioning and then making sure, especially with our hip abductors, those are things we really want to train. So we're looking at this gait training eh, quad setting. That's good. Long quads aren't eh, really bad. Sign laying hip abduction. That's okay. So we are choosing number three, no long quads, no open knee, chain knee extension. Bad, 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 bad. All right, guys. I hope that this was helpful. Please let me know if you have any questions and I will see you in the next one. Take care.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the PTA Elevation Podcast. We look forward to continually serving you as you embark on your journey towards becoming a licensed physical therapist assistant. We thank you for your continued support and we'll see you in the next episode.